Well, all in all, that's not too bad a morning in church, huh? Man, what an exciting morning we've had. Between the two services, seven families uh, dedicating children, I guess five people baptized, and just some really good worship. Amen? Exciting morning. Thank you, Lord. Hey, let's. Uh, we want to continue as we move toward uh, November and election. want to continue going before our Lord and, and showing ourselves uh, dependent and humble before Him. Let's, uh, let's pray, okay? Oh, Father, we come before you this morning, and I I just was laid on my heart words like truth and justice and mercy. These are your words. You you don't meet the standard of, of truth and justice and mercy. You are the standard by which we receive those words. Lord, that's what you want for a life. It's what you want for a home, for a community, for a whole nation. Lord, we pray you would provide leadership and, and guidance that would bring those words and bring those words to life uh, throughout our land, Father. Lord, I, as I prayed last week, I just continue to pray for an election process that is verifiable, that we can trust, that we can be at peace with. I'm, I'm not sure, Lord, if that's what's underway or not, but I, I pray that it would be. And uh, Lord, I pray you will, you will bring us godly leaders um, throughout every level of the government. Lord, we need your help for that. And I pray you see us, you see your people throughout America calling out to you, depending upon you to provide uh, that leadership. And Lord, even as we're so overwhelmed right now by an election process, uh, there's still a governance that is going on. There's still cases that are being tried. And so we lift up to you. Uh, President Trump and Governor Northam, our Congress on the federal and commonwealth level, all of our courts. And Lord, we pray they do what is right and just and good by your word and according to your truth. And Lord, I was just looking this morning in First Timothy 2 where you call us to pray for our leaders. And there's a purpose for that. It, it's not just that there's right decisions. It's not just that we get what we want, but the God, the end of this prayer is that we could live quiet and godly and dignified lives. Oh, God, may that be our desire when we go to vote. May that be our desire when we pray for the leaders that we have, that we can live quiet and godly and and dignified lives. Lord, again, I pray that, that we as individuals, that we as a church are joining millions of others throughout our culture, God, and you see us depending upon you and coming before you and trusting you for this. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we uh, are, I'm excited today to get back on track after a couple of week hiatus from Revelation to be back in Revelation today. And of course, I, I say I'm excited to be back in Revelation and we're not actually in Revelation today. But, but it is a part of our series. This is actually the 22nd planned, 22nd of our 24 messages. I guess I would call this message kind of a supplemental message to what we've been looking at and studying. If you look in Revelation 19, Revelation 20, or where we're going next week with Revelation 21, we're seeing people resurrected. They're being resurrected and and they're getting rewards and they're going to a marriage supper of the Lamb or they're being resurrected and they're going before the great white throne judgment and from there on into the lake of fire. And these are clearly events that have not yet happened. 
These are clearly events that are to be out there in the future. So if these people are being resurrected and going to these events out there in the future, they haven't happened yet, then where are they right now? <laughs> where, where is my loved one right now? Where, if I die, where am I going right now? If, if this heaven and, and this hell are out there in the future, then where are people right now? We know there's an ultimate destination, but, but what about the layover? Where are they in the layover? You know, one of the, the things that, that, that Karen and I lost, and not just Karen and I, but about 60 of you uh, through COVID, is, is we lost a trip to the Holy Land. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think March 23rd was the date we were leaving. And if you remember the end of March, I mean, that's when all this was just blowing to pieces and going crazy. And, and so we, we lost it. We had to cancel that trip. We'd advertised a trip to Israel. We had talked about a trip to Israel, the group that was going. We actually went to a number of meetings uh, preparing for that trip to Israel. And I'm confident that if we'd have gone on it, when we got back, we would have talked about going to Israel, right. It's not a trick question. Yeah, we would have talked about going to Israel. We would have shown pictures of going to Israel. But do you want to know something? Israel wasn't the only place we were going. We, we had, a, of course, you know, when you fly, well, even in country, but certainly overseas, you often have a layover. But our layover worked out a little bit differently. When we were leaving Israel, we were going to be flying to Vienna, landing in the morning, and then our, our connecting flight didn't leave until the next day. So we were going to have a whole day, a whole evening in Vienna. We had a great hotel planned for that, a great meal lined up. And man, I'm telling you something, I was really looking forward to it. I was looking forward to the chocolate. I was looking forward to the meal. I was looking forward to walking around in Vienna. I mean, I was very excited about this little add-on to the trip. But do you know, I would have never told anybody <laughs> that we were going to Vienna I mean, if you'd have called me on the way to the airport, hey, what are you doing, Pat? I'm on my way to the airport. Where are you going? I'm going to Israel. I would, I would never even thought of mentioning, never would mention, oh, and Vienna. Because it's not about the layover, right? It's about the ultimate destination. It is, it is about the trip. I, I mean, you know there's layovers. If I didn't mention Vienna, you wouldn't think I was lying. You wouldn't think I was withholding information. It's just not about the layover, right? It's ultimately about the, the destination. Well, folks, a lot of times in Scripture, we're hearing about the ultimate destination. And there's not a, there's not a timing put on that or how all that unfolds at times. It's just this big idea of an ultimate destination. And maybe we don't always pick up that there is a layover on the way to that destination. And there is scripture that describes and defines that layover. And that's what our topic is today. We know the lake of fire and heaven is this future event way out there. But what about right now. Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And that's about, uh, I don't know, three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Luke, of course, is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the neighborhood you'll find it in, Luke chapter 16. Now, what I'm about to read to you is called a parable. That, that means it's a story. It's, it's a story being told for a teaching point. 
and it may not be true. As a matter of fact, it's, it's not communicated as being true. So you're going to meet some characters. Father Abraham is a real character. But the other two, the rich man, Lazarus, these may not be real people. The conversation we're going to see taking place may not ever have actually happened. This is just a story that Jesus is telling. But let me tell you something about Jesus' parables, Jesus' stories. They always connect with reality. They always connect with what is and what is to be understood as reality. Now, a parable has a point. If you're correctly interpreting a parable, a parable has a point. It's not necessarily meant to go through and line by line by line keep making a whole bunch of points. And that's actually what I'm going to do with this. This parable is make a handful of points, but hopefully what you'll watch me do is connect them with other scriptures that back up that point that is being made because the parable is always connected to reality. So let's look at that now. Luke 16, and I'm going to begin in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Clearly, he had to be in Vienna, Austria. Verse 20, "And and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side, The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now that right there, folks, is saying a lot. What what is this place like? You wouldn't even think of a whole glass of water. Pure relief just sounds like a drop, a a, a single drop of water off of someone's finger. And besides all this, but, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those would pass from here to you may not be able and none may be able to cross from there to here. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also may come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. That, that'd be equivalent to us saying, they have the Bible. I, you, they, they don't need a miracle. They don't need a visit from the dead. It, all, all this information, everything being communicated, right, right there in the scriptures. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to them, if they, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, listen, If they're not going to read, if they're not going to believe, if they're not going to obey the Bible, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I don't know about you, but I always want to argue with that last line a little bit. Well, you know, Lord, I think if somebody showed up from the dead, that'd make an impact on me. I think that would leave, I think that would leave a mark. But actually, this is a, a truth throughout scripture. It's a truth about you and me. We're not changed by miracles. As much as you and I would think that the supernatural, the boy, that'll, that'll make it. No, folks, it's faith. Ultimately, it is faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and in his word. 
So we just got a story here about two guys in the layover. They, it seems pretty clear they're on a destination, right? There's one of them that seems pretty clearly on the way to heaven, the, 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 the poor man. And Lazarus seems pretty clearly to be on his way to hell. And if you are on your way to heaven, then it appears that the second you die, the, the feeling of reward, the feeling of, of paradise, the feeling of paradise begins immediately. And again, we know from other scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23 is one that you could add to that. Two different passages that when you die immediately, not one day, not after a resurrection, immediately you are in the presence of God. And, and folks, whatever we want to understand about paradise, the bottom line is the presence of God is the most perfect and wonderful and good place that you can be. Likewise, our rich man lands himself in a place referred to as Hades. And it appears to be, it's not the lake of fire, but it appears to be a lot like it. it, it, it I mean, look at the words being used there, anguish and torment. So it, it, one begins a very heaven-like experience, the other begins a very hell-like experience. But neither one of these guys has been resurrected They've not gone to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They've not gone to the great white throne. They are not in capital H heaven or capital H hell or lake of fire. They're in these, these places being described here. And of course, our goal today is to figure out what these places are. I'm going to use the term for where the, the poor man is, paradise, and I'll explain why in just a second. But he is in paradise, and I believe the scripture is going to show us that place is to be called paradise. The, the wealthy man, the rich man, is in Hades. That's a Greek word, Hades. The Hebrew word, and you may remember seeing this word some like when you read in the Psalms. It's throughout the Old Testament, but you see it a lot in the Psalms, Sheol. Sheol and Hades would be very equivalent, almost synonymous. It would briefly be described as the place of the dead, but there's, there's no one consciousness in the dead. So in the place of the dead, there is this, this feeling of torment. I think one place is miserable and one place is wonderful and awesome, but it ultimately is not the same as where we're going. I, I, paradise is very heaven-like, but it is not heaven. Let me show you a difference. And what's interesting about this, folks, is I promise you what I'm about to show you is going gonna, gonna to freak some of you out, okay? It's always been there. It's amazing. The, the passages we read, the passages we know, and we just don't think about them that much. We don't think about what's being communicated. We don't connect any dots. But let's, let's look at what a little bit like paradise is like. So turn to Revelation 21. I said we weren't going to be in Revelation today, but we are a little bit. This is not our study of Revelation 21. That will be next week. And what we have in Revelation 21 is heaven. We have a description of heaven, and folks, it's awesome. It's real, it's physical, it is absolutely so amazing that with Revelation 21 alone, God is feeding your faith and my faith to the extent that we would have so much hope that we could endure any kind of suffering on this, on this earth and in this time. That's what we're going to be looking at next week, a very real, a very physical place called heaven. Verse 1, 
And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just setting the context. Now I want to read verse three or verse four. Now all of this chapter is about it, but I just want to read one verse describing it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now when you think of heaven, that line, isn't that have you heard that line? Doesn't that sound like what you, you don't cry in heaven. You don't cry. There's no reason to cry in heaven. Everything's right. Everything's good. Nobody gets sick. No, nobody dies. There's nothing to be upset about. It's, it's perfect. Okay. That's how heaven is described. Now let's go to another group of people who are in what you and I would call heaven. But let, let's see if there's a little bit of a difference. Revelation chapter six, Revelation chapter six And look at verse 9. Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God. So we're, we're looking at a group of people who've died, right? If you've been slain, that means you were killed. You're dead. But you're not, you haven't ceased to be. You're, you're in what you and I would refer to as heaven or maybe what we would call now paradise. You're, you're in paradise. You're with God. They've been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. And they cried out. You know, normally when we use the phrase, they cried out, something's not okay. I mean, we don't, we don't say they cried out in joy. I mean, you could. Crying out doesn't mean somebody's crying, but it, it tends to mean something's, something's not quite right. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? I thought this would have happened by now. I thought there'd be an answer. I thought you would have corrected this. I thought you would have resolved this. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe, that that white robe, that linen robe. We see that number of places because connected with rewards. And then they're told to rest. I love that. They're, they're at, the question is, how long? And God says, rest. That's a, that's a biblical way of saying, cool your jets. I got this. I wonder if there's anybody in here today that absolutely that's the word you need to hear today. You, you need to hear God to say to you, I got this. I have an answer. It will be taken care of. And this is the hard part, but not today. Today is, is not the day that I, ha- I have it. I have the answer, and the answer will be perfect. And the timing is a part of what makes it perfect. Today, you need, you need to rest. But here's people, folks, that are, that are in heaven. They're with God, and yet there's a, there's a, bit, of, there's a bit of angst. There's a bit of tension. And, and I'll make this point here in just a second. When, when we go to paradise, there's still a connection with reality. There's still a connection with what is going on in the world. And obviously not, hey, does everything going on in your world elicit good feelings? No, no of course not. And so we'll, we'll understand that. This is our goal, to understand today what it's like, who am I, what's going on in paradise in Hades, okay? And we're going to draw from this parable to do that. So I want to make five quick points. Number one, when the when the... Uh, poor guy dies, the angels carry him to Father Abraham, to his side, to what I'm going to say is paradise. Now, first of all, the angels carried him. I think that sounds kind of cool. 
I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that feels, but I would sign up for it. Yes, I'll sign up for the angel ride. Would you? Yeah, I mean, right away, I'm pretty intrigued by what happens the last time I close my eyes. The last time I, yes, put me down for the angel, the angel ride. So, so the angels take them to Abraham's side, which I'm calling paradise. Now, why am I referring to the layover? Why am I referring to this time before heaven as paradise? Because that's what Jesus refers to it as. And I just feel like I can go with what he said. You remember, the, you remember when Jesus was being crucified on the cross between two thieves. And one of those thieves actually placed their faith in Christ. Now, think about what Father Abraham told the guy in Hades. They don't need a miracle. I mean, hey, it's one thing to put your faith in Jesus when he's walking on water. It's one thing to put your faith in Jesus when he, when he feeds the multitudes. It's one thing to put your faith in Jesus when he raises the dead. But to put your faith in him when he is next to you, nailed to a cross, bloodied, beaten, and about to draw his last breath. At that point to say, I'm putting everything on you. Boy, that's faith right there, isn't it? I, everything. I'm, I'm writing everything on you, Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Today, not one day, not after you're resurrected, not out there in the future, not after a millennial kingdom, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the word Jesus gives us. It's amazing what we don't know that's always been right in front of us the whole time. Jesus identifies this. You know, to to back up, folks, we use the word heaven and hell, and I'll refer to it as little h heaven and little h hell. We refer to those words in very general senses, don't we? In other words, little h heaven, that's where people who've placed their faith in Christ, when they die, they, they go to little h heaven. And, and people who have not, they go to little h hell. And we don't really have a lot of definition behind what we're saying or behind what that means. It's just a general statement. And that's fine to use that that idea. That's fine to use those words. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there is a capital H heaven. There is a capital H hell that is a very specific place that is delivered out there in the future. And so knowing that it's delivered out there in the future, does the scripture tell us where we are right now? Does it tell me where my loved one is right now? They are in paradise in the presence of God. Second Corinthians 5, 8, Philippians 1, 23. Paradise, actually, that word literally means walled in garden. Maybe it's the garden of Eden. I don't, we lost that to sin, right? And, and, and maybe that's where we go during this time. But whatever is to be understood about what we're seeing, what we're doing in paradise, the most important part is we are with God. That's what makes it good. That's what makes it right. That's what makes it perfect is, is being with God. Now, the rich guy goes to the place that we referred to in a moment ago, and it's here in the passage, goes to Hades. Okay, so again, neither one's been resurrected, neither one's been through a judgment, but one goes to a heaven-like existence in paradise, the other goes to a hell-like existence called Hades, and it appears the torment, it appears the anguish, I mean, all the words we would think of that go with hell, right? Flame, torment, anguish, all the, all those words begin there. So it is a heaven-like, it is a hell-like existence, if you were going to refer to them specifically and accurately what the scripture says, it would be paradise and Hades that we go to. And when we go there, you 
are still you. I, I, I think that's actually like an important point. If you look here in the story, the rich man, Lazarus, uh, of course, Father Abraham is a real person, is a real character. They all maintain their identity from who they were before death. We, we, we enter Hades, we enter paradise, and we have our identity. Now, what is our identity? Well, I think part of our identity is, is I mean, you know who I am by when you see me, Right? My identity is my look. It's my personality. Probably the biggest thing, it's my memory. I mean, I think a lot of us would agree. Some of us have walked through this with a loved one. One of the worst diseases, to my understanding, is not a very painful disease, but a horrible disease, Alzheimer's or dementia, because the person loses their memory. They don't, they lose what? They lose their life. I mean, what is life? Life is my stories. Life is my relationships. And if I have no more stories and I have no more relationships, am I... Am I still me? Okay. Well, when you get to heaven, you still have your life. You still have your relationships. You still have your stories. All of that is intact. And, 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 not, and we don't lose any of that. We are who we are there that we are here. You know, the Bible shows us a couple of times, and the operative word there is a couple of times, people coming back from the dead. If you're new to, to looking at the Bible, new to understanding the Bible, no. People coming back from the dead is not a regular occurrence. As a matter of fact, the Bible covers about 1,500 years of human history, and the Bible shows us that two or three times. And, and never is it meant, as a matter of fact, we're told not to do that. We're told not to go looking for people from the dead. But there's a couple of times that happens. Y'all remember when a, a prophet named Samuel comes back and goes to King Saul? Or when Jesus transfigured before his disciples on, on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, who was standing there with him? Moses and Elijah. And so when we see Moses and Elijah, when we see Samuel, do you know what is noted about them that's very, very different? Nothing. If you see somebody that you have not seen in a really long time and there's something different about them, probably the first thing you note, right? Wow, you have, you have two heads. We get two heads in paradise, huh? I would have never, I would have never, you know, I say that jokingly, but folks, if, if something changed about us, when we saw these people, it'd be like, oh, look, we're, we're different there. And yet nothing is noted. You know why? Because nothing's different. You are you. you the, the you you are here is the you you will be there. You will look like you, your memory, your stories, your relationships all intact. And it appears, number four, it appears from the story here that... Uh, we have a consciousness of where we are, right? I mean, the poor man, uh, the rich man, they both know where they are. There's a consciousness of where you are. There is a memory of the past. There seems to be a knowledge of what is going on. Now, this is a parable. Are we supposed to understand that that's the case? Think about it. The saints we just read about in Revelation chapter 6. They knew what had happened to them. We were, we were murdered. For our faith in Jesus Christ. They knew that on earth justice for that had not been done. They know where they are with God. And folks, I point that out. Because I think there are, there are stories, there are ideas that when we get to heaven, we just kind of enter this bliss. What is even bliss? Do I want bliss? You know, like I'm just almost half happy, half numb. You know, you're just kind of floating 
And nothing's real in heaven. There's nothing like that communicated in the scripture. You are very real. Your memory is real. Your past is real. The, the, the current situation is real. One of the things we're going to see about heaven next week is how physical. It's something you can touch and experience. We're going we're gonna to see all of that next week. So it, it, this is a real place that we go. Of course, the story has him very aware that his five brothers are not yet saved. And he's very concerned that they're going to be with him. See, that's a, that is an awareness of what is going on on earth. And that is an awareness of this, my current condition. And boy, that really, you know, we, we have this cliche that misery loves company, right? When you are miserable in hell, you will not want anybody you know to be there. Isn't that interesting? The whole concept that I'd rather party in hell with my friends then be bored floating around on clouds in heaven. Well, first of all, you're not going to be bored. You're not going to be floating around on cloud. Secondly, there is actually no party ever, ever going on in heaven. And if you really cared for somebody, I'm just going by this story here, the last place you want them to be is with you. Now, this is kind of a different thing thinking about the people in paradise, in Hades, knowing what's going on with us. Because that kind of raises the question, so like, 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 are they looking at me? Like, do they watch me brush my teeth? Or a bunch of other things I'd really prefer them not watch me doing? Because that would be creepy, right? And so I'm going to suggest that's not what they get insight to, because I just don't see anywhere in Scripture where God's connected with something creepy and weird, and that doesn't make sense. So no, I don't believe they're watching you brush your teeth. But they absolutely seem to have a working knowledge and a working understanding of what is going on in, in, in the people they love and care about lives. I mean, even the ones in Hades. Go to my five brothers. I know they don't know. To, to, the, to the saints in Revelation 6, God, when are you going to bring justice? They have a working knowledge and understanding of what is going on in, in the world. Because that's reality. I mean, that, that's where God is. God is in reality. He's not in a candy land where we just float and think good thoughts. He, he's in reality. Last point, number five, there, there's no crossing over between Hades and paradise. That's a really important point. The key point, folks, is at death, eternity is set. Do you understand how big that is? Do you understand how important it is? By the way, that, along with other passages, really undoes the concept of a purgatory. I don't know if you come from a background where you've heard of or, or believed in a purgatory. Purgatory is the idea, when I die, I'm not going to a heaven or a hell. I'm going somewhere where I can continue working on it. I, I, I can go there and I can work out what was left undone on earth and hopefully get myself worked into heaven. Well, the entire concept is wrong because it's based on my work and not the blood of Jesus Christ, right? But that idea is that I'm going to, after death, change my status, after death, changed what happened here on earth. No, very clearly, you are not. Death sets eternity. Death sets eternity. There's, there's no crossing back and forth. And boy, when you hear and you, you understand that point, you can't help but ask yourself, ooh, boy, where am I going? And, and we might wonder, well, can, can, can anybody ever really know for sure 
where they're going? The believer can. The believer absolutely can know. And it's not because of an arrogance. It's not because of a pride in themselves. We can know because that's what the scripture tells us. First John 5, 14, I've written these things to you who believe. Not I've written these things to you who act really, really good. Uh, I've written these things to you who do what I want you to do. No, I've written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God. The reason I can know for sure is because my faith and my hope has nothing to do with anything about me. It has everything to do with about Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And that's already been accomplished. It's finished. And the Father accepted it as evidenced by the resurrection. So when my hope and my faith is on Jesus, I can, according to Scripture, know that I have eternal life with my God. That's what Jesus affords. By the way, folks, that's God's will for you today. His will for you is not insecurity. His will for you is not fear. His will for you is not, oh my gosh, what do I, what do I, what do I need to do? Have I, done, have I done enough? That's what the devil's trying to tell you. You got to do enough. Jesus is saying, it's finished. I've taken care of it. I've written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Boy, when I know that death sets, death sets that decision, have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Now, the only tricky thing about death is we're all counting on a lot of things we're going to do before we die, right? The only problem is I don't actually know when I'm going to die. Neither do you. I mean, hey... If I'm gambling, I'm, I'm going with 80-something. But it might be tomorrow. I've had that experience. I don't know about some of y'all. But all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a minute. So I don't live forever. So this could be like right now. Death sets eternity. The other question is story. I, I'm captivated by the guy worried about his brothers. Do I take Jesus at his word? Do I take Jesus at his word that in eternity I'm really going to care about the people I love and where they end up? And do I do something about it now? What do you mean? What do you do? Pray for them. Invite them. Share with them. Anything you can to engage them, introduce them, bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus seems to be telling a story that would suggest one day that's all you're really going to care about other than your own relief from the flames. Maybe instead of waiting to get there and going, oh, that part of the story was true, maybe, maybe we just start acting like it right now, right? And start really caring and realize, boy, every single person I'm looking at, I mean, I like some, I don't like some, I, I agree with some, I don't agree with others. But, you know, the bottom line is every single person I look at, it, they all have an eternal destination. They all have an eternal destination. And if I was in those flames, it appears I would want nobody to experience that. So wrap up, summary, where, where do we go when we die? And I'm kind of, kind of bring together now everything we've looked at in, in Revelation. If I die today, now I'm not talking about the rapture or, or any of those kinds of things. If I die today, right now, I die as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I go to paradise. I'm in the presence of God and my reward and my joy and the peace and, and the arrival of everything I've hoped. That all begins immediately. 
There's still a connection with this world. There's still a connection with this reality. I, I, I have concern for people. I have concern for the world situation and what God is doing. But man, I, I am with God and paradise begins. At some point, I will be resurrected. Because there, Jesus will come back and there'll be a rapture of those Christians that are alive. And if I've died, I will rise up and I will join them in the air. But that doesn't mean I've been asleep because I've been with the Lord. That doesn't mean I haven't been in a body because everything in the Bible communicates is physical and real. And so I will rise up and I will meet the Lord in the air with other believers and we will go on to the, to the judgment and rewards and the marriage supper of the Lamb and the second coming and then a, a millennial reign and then we'll be introduced. There'll finally be the delivery of a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, we'll look at it next week. If I die today and I'm outside of Christ, my faith is in, in something else, then I go to Hades and a very hell-like experience begins immediately. And from that Hades, I will be resurrected at a point in the future to go and stand before the great white throne with all unbelievers of all time. And from the great white throne on into the lake of fire with Satan, the antichrist, the false prophet to live there for all eternity. That, that is what the scriptures communicate about what happens the moment we die all the way to the final destination. It's always been there. A lot of times in passages you and I have read. Folks, God is a revealer. He wants us to know. You know, the first book of the Bible is, is Genesis. And it's the first book of the Bible because of its subject matter. It's, it's the beginning. <laughs> the, the beginning of creation. The beginning of life. The beginning of God's people. It's a book of beginnings. And so for its subject matter, it's set there on, on page one. But it's not the oldest book in the Bible written. The oldest book is Job. And matter of fact, it was written long before. God gave Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was about 1400 BC that Moses lived, that he received this revelation from the Lord and communicated it. Job walked on the earth about 600 years before that. Job's life was in around 2000 BC, and, and that's when we get the first written revelation from God. And think about that. The first time God reveals himself in the written word, he's addressing what subject? Suffering. I mean, that's, Job is one word. It's, it's about suffering. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when there's wrong? What, what, where, where is God when I'm, when I'm afraid? I mean, where, Hey, where is God when it seems like the devil's winning? I mean, that's pretty much what Job is about, right? It's so overwhelmingly about that that we don't often recognize that Job actually teaches us some other things. There, there's some other things there in the book of Job, like, like, like the statement about the resurrection, one of the clear statements about the resurrection in the Bible was communicated in 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago. That's how long Job walked on this earth. 4,000 years before you and I got to hear this message today, Job said in chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, I know. There's a lot of things right now I don't know. There's a lot of things that are making me mad, that are making me scared. There's a lot of things that have me in absolute, utter pain. But here's what I know. I know my Redeemer lives. And, and at the last, 
Job has a concept of a last. That, that all of time is moving to a point. There's a beginning and there's an, there's an end. At the last, he will stand, my Redeemer. He will stand on this earth. And though this body has undergone dis- decay, though this body has been destroyed, I mean, hey, listen, it doesn't take any real intelligence to know we all die and we rot. This flesh is going to rot. And yet, in my flesh, notice that statement. My flesh is going to rot, but in my flesh, I will see God. 2000 BC, the very first revelation of God. I can't help but think that Job knew nothing, 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 nothing about the name Jesus. I doubt he knew anything about a cross or a resurrection, but he knew my Redeemer lives. I I, I don't know what he would have known about a, a, a rapture and a tribulation and a second coming, but he knows God's going to stand on this earth. I, I doubt he could have had much of a discussion about a, a, a paradise and a Hades, a, a heaven and a hell. But he knows he's going to see God in this flesh after death. You know, with all there really is to know and understand. And, and you know, folks, as we look at these passages and connect all these dots, I hope you're wonderfully overwhelmed with how detailed and planned your God is. You may not know what's going on, but he does. And he he has a plan for every single moment of it, and the plan will come about. You you should have a greater faith. Man, I I didn't know all these details were here, but God did. God God did know those those details were there. So there's a lot to understand. There's a lot to study and a lot of dots to be connected. But even after having said all of that, it really is just this simple. I'm going to stand before God. In this flesh. And my relationship with a living redeemer. Seems to determine how that's going to go. How's it going to go for you? You know God wants you to know. Wants you to be secure about that. And there's a way. It's a name. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all, all of the information. There's so many places. I, I, I think of 1 Thessalonians 4.13. You say, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then you go on to tell us about the rapture. God, you, you, confusion, not knowing, ignorance, fear, anxiety. None of this is your will. None of this is what you have for us. You've given us your word so that we can know, so that we can understand, and so that we can respond appropriately. Oh, Lord, with the information we've, we've been given today, with the information that there is to understand, I pray for each one of us here, each one watching online, God, that we would respond appropriately. I pray our faith is strengthened and emboldened, and we're more committed than ever before to take you at your word, believe it and obey it, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it is. Lord, I would pray for any in here who have not yet made that decision that sets all eternity. Oh, Lord, might this be the day they come into a saving knowledge, a saving relationship, 
with your son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, thank you for the Bible and all that it gives us. For it is only because of that book that I can say, I know. I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand on this earth. And though I shall thus be destroyed yet in my flesh, I will see God. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.